I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, I was away last weekend and I miss church. Um, I miss being here with you guys. Um, I had a great time uh, and I would uh, gladly uh, fill you in, have a chat with me. I'll book in for a coffee and um, you probably won't get a word in edgewise if you ask me about it. So, uh, but uh, I am glad to be home. Um, as, a, as I was preparing to speak this morning, uh, a wise friend of mine keeps telling me to preach the text, not the subject. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I am, I'm going to do that this morning. I do want to, when I was praying about what to share this morning and as I, I've been uh, just looking at what's going on in the world, um, I was stirred to speak to what is happening around about us. And so, yes, I'm going to preach what is in the Word because I think that's the only place we're going to find answers. Amen. Um, but I don't want to ignore what's going on around us. I'm not to be political and sometimes I get in trouble for that. But I think that if we separate, uh, if we separate responding to things that, require us to respond by calling it political and saying we don't need to address it. We actually do not only uh, the church and injustice, we do the people that most desperately need us to speak up for them and injustice. And so this morning, I don't want to ignore what is going on in the world, but rather preach Jesus into <laughs> what's going on in the world. Uh, I, I don't. It's easy to be a little bit disheartened if you've been, I don't know, like turning the TV on to watch the news or, or on Facebook and seeing the way some people are responding or even uh, just the lack of love for people who are different from ourselves, demonstrated sometimes by politicians, sometimes by people who should know better, like those that call themselves Christians, I think needs to be addressed and not by calling out individuals or by pointing out what's going wrong in someone else, but by addressing what's going on in our hearts and finding out what Jesus says to us and calls us to be. Because as we rise up and be the church that God has called us to be, then the world will be challenged. Those around us will be challenged to live up, to see who Jesus is in all that we do. It comes not by pointing out the sin of another, but it comes by addressing what's going on in our own hearts. I'm going to read from Acts 10 this morning. I'm going to start at the very beginning and I'm going to skip over some verses, but just to give you an overview of what's going on here in the story, if you're not familiar with the uh, the Bible overly, where in the time that's just after Jesus has uh, has spent time with the disciples and he uh, he's now gone and the disciples are left and we're in the time of the early church. They're just beginning to find out what this call means to them, who they're supposed to be. And in Acts chapter 10, they're just beginning to go out and start to preach the good news. In verse 1 it says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman 
army officer, or in some versions it'll say a Roman centurion, named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and was, uh, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it? He said, uh, he asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives on the seashore. The next day, Cornelius, is, I'm down to verse 9, by the way. The next day, as Cornelius's messages messengers were nearing the town Peter went up to a flat roof to pray it was about noon and he was hungry but while a meal was being prepared he fell into what was like a trance and he saw the sky open and something like a sheet uh, where all sorts of animals reptiles and birds oh, with all sorts of animals reptiles and birds then a voice said to him get up Peter kill and eat them no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice again said, do not call something unclean that God has made clean. And then the same vision was repeated to him three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. If you jump down to verse 28, it says, Peter then told them, you know, it is, uh, he's, uh, then he's uh, been called to Cornelius's house, by the way. Uh, he's been invited to go, and he responds like this. Uh, you know, it is against our Jewish laws for uh, a man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. He jumped down to verse 34. It says, then Peter replied, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, it, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you for your words at, um, in the Bible, but we most... We, we're most grateful for your living word, Jesus, who has revealed to us, God, that shows us what this is supposed to mean to us. And we, we just pray that you would help us to see through Jesus this morning what you're saying to us, that we would see this morning what you're saying to your church and what you've said to the world. We just pray that we would uh, get your heart this morning for people in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a story here, which in terms of church history, if you're familiar, there was uh, Jesus came as a Jewish man, and he was uh, he was with like his disciples were Jewish men, and it was understood that he had come as the Messiah to the Jews. And if you look through scripture even old testament you see uh we woven through the story god's heart for the world that he created and this is the point at which god speaks clearly uh to the fact that he had sent jesus not just for the jews but for the whole world uh, and he speaks uh he essentially opens up 
the gospel to everyone. And if you're sitting in this place, and uh, sometimes we read this, I see it as, um, we read it as if we're the people on the Jewish side of the story where we get to include others in what God's done in us. But if, if, if you remember, uh, for most of us here who don't have Jewish heritage, that we're the other that have been invited in, that we're the other that have been included. We were included by the love of God first. And so um, just keep that in the back of your mind as we explore the scripture this morning. Just a bit of background for this, if you um, understand anything about the geography of the area, Caesarea was like the Roman Las Vegas of the area. Like I've, uh, I've been to the place where they've excavated all of the entertainment stuff that they had going on there. This was a place of the world. This was a place where uh, it was so far removed from the Jewish uh, like understanding of what was right and what was good. It was, it was everything that represented the Roman Empire. There's a, uh, like a um, stadium and the horse, yeah, the, where the, they raced the chariots. And there's, there, it's like venue after venue, like in, in terms of first century or, or earlier, like for these things to exist in a city is incredible to have one. In Caesarea, it's, it's literally the entire coastline is this, um, is like literally like the party strip uh, of the Roman Empire. So this is as worldly as it gets, if you want to use that kind of, so to say that this was a man um, Cornelius was from Caesarea. We're talking as other as it gets from the Jewish people. And not to mention that he is named, the reason I pointed out that some versions will say that it said a Roman centurion. Where was the last time we saw a Roman centurion in the Gospels? Crucifying Jesus. So here is a Roman centurion in Caesarea. As other as he could get. And he's being named as a man who loves the poor and is loving God and worshipping him. I'm going to come back to that. We see in this story, Lord of all, the very end of the the passage, Lord of all that God created. We sometimes go Lord of all and spiritualize it and go Lord of all of our life. We can give everything to God or Lord of all of the situations that we have or face. And that's true. I'm not saying that, that he's not Lord of all, but this verse is actually saying that he is Lord of all as in Lord of all people. And, and the problem when we face issues like what have been going on in the world in the past couple of weeks. The problem uh, when, when racism and white supremacy rises up in nations of the world, the problem when uh, sexism dominates um, and people are affected and oppressed, the problem when, uh, when we dehumanize people for the sake of winning an argument, the problem when we make someone less than human. See, God... 
is saying that he is Lord of all the people that he created. And the only way we can get around that, and it's so contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only way we can get around that is by dehumanizing people. And that is so offensive to God because of what he's saying here. To make someone in your own mind as though they were less is so opposite to what God has intended and the picture that he paints here. I love in verse 34, where it says, this is a message of good news. Just before he says he's Lord of all. This is a message of good news. You know, one of my least favorite things uh, that Christians say is that the gospel is offensive to the people who hear it. It's like a twisted version of where it does say that the gospel is as foolishness. It doesn't make sense. But it's, the, the gospel can't be both offensive and good news at the same time. Do you know who the gospel is offensive to? The people that systems and structures have been benefiting for a long time. That's who it's offensive to. The gospel is offensive. Uh, I like one quote I do like is, uh, and I don't even know who said it, but I've been quoting it for so long. Uh, the, the gospel uh, that Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. See, the gospel should be offensive to those that have got comfortable in their own privilege. The gospel should be offensive to those that have got comfortable in their own, with their own status where they benefit from others being in a situation where they're dehumanized or made less than. But the gospel is good news to the poor. It is comfort to the mourning. It brings sight to the blind and freedom for the captives. It is good news. And the gospel of Jesus is not going to be offensive to those who need to hear it. Maybe we can be offensive sometimes to people who need to hear the gospel. But I don't get any idea from this word of God that tells me that the message of Jesus Christ should be offensive to those who are suffering. At the very end, I didn't read it when I was reading the whole lot. If you jump down to verse 44, it says that even Peter, as Peter was saying these things, as he's explaining this vision that's come to him, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came to Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And Peter asked, can anyone now object to their being baptized since they have received the Holy Spirit as we did? The problem is sometimes we do object. Sometimes we do object to someone being in our space that makes us feel uncomfortable, someone that is different, someone that we don't understand, someone that is other. 
And when we object and when we dehumanise, we, by nature of being those that are supposed to carry the good news, make it offensive to those that are supposed to receive it and rejoice. That is our responsibility. That is our failure, but it can be our call to rise above that and to actually carry the good news into the world in a way that makes those that need to hear it rejoice. Could we, church, love people in a way that actually makes them rejoice when they encounter the Jesus that we have been able to encounter and love? In a way that would make them want to receive the Holy Spirit and be part of the family that we get to be a part of. In a way that makes them desire to know. Have you ever encountered someone so full of the love of God? That it doesn't matter what anyone has said to you. When I walked into a church, I had all sorts of misconceptions about who God was and what he said about who I had to be. I had a world full of misinformation and understanding about who God was and what it was required to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You know, I had friends who had been in Catholic uh, and grown up in Catholic churches and had struggled with their faith. I had friends who'd been in, you know, uh, I had I'd gone along to like strange, I don't know, like different groups of like, uh, I think it's the Mormons that come along to, I had this m- weird mishmash of, of ideas of what faith was and who God was. But it wasn't until I encountered people who carried the love of God. And they didn't have to have all the theological understanding down pat and be able to articulate everything in in a 10-point message about how you can fight. Like, they just showed me the love of God. They just demonstrated who Jesus was and who, how they lived and loved in a way that wanted me, wanted, made me want to know who Jesus was. You know, they were the ones that drove me home when I turned up to church every week without arranging a lift to go home. And I'd wait by the door and hope someone would take me home because there's no public transport where our church was. They were the ones who invited me to come and uh, to be a part of things that they were doing and, and invited me to their homes to share uh, food with and, and come, you know, invited me to their engagement parties and weddings even though I was like this feral teenager that probably didn't, they didn't necessarily fit the picture of all the people they were wanted there they were the ones that put up with the mess of people turning up to our church to come and find me because I owed them money for stuff that anyway we'll skip over that part Um, and they, they were the ones that loved me in a way that helped me to see who Jesus was church would you allow Jesus to minister to you in a way that you could love others in a way that helps Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about encountering God in a way that helps to shape us to be the people that others would see Jesus in. 
to encounter God in a way that he could speak to us like he did to Peter and completely shatter everything he thought he had to abide by. But when God speaks and says, no, this is how we do it. This is who I am and this is what I'm saying to you. He could put aside all of his years of religious devotion and all of his commitment to who he'd been before and allow God to speak into his life and so shift his paradigm. You know, we can be so afraid of change, particularly when we've been committed to an idea for a long time. Would we be a people committed to encounter God in a way that we would allow him to change us even when it's uncomfortable? Could you leave this place desiring to seek God in a way that he would change your mind? Desiring to seek God in a way that he would show you something new? To say, God, help change me because I know that I'm not the person that you need me to be. Not yet, but we want to be. One of the reasons that we've started to share communion on a weekly basis is for this purpose, is to make sure that we set ourselves up to be in a place where we encounter Jesus every week when we come into this place so that we could be shaped to be more like him. Have you ever hung out with someone so much that you say the same things as them or you pick up their mannerisms or you start to you start to even think you know along the same lines we say that we desire to be in Christ we say that we desire to embody Christ well part of how we do that is by making sure that we come to a place where we can encounter him regularly both personally and corporately. As a church, we desire to be shaped, to be made into something that reflects who he is. And we do that together by coming to the table and sharing communion. We do that together by coming and taking part and remembering what Jesus has done for us, but not just in those moments on the cross but in the fact that God himself came into the world, walked in all that, the fullness of the human experience, understands exactly who we are and where we're at, and became a sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to participate in those sort of things anymore, so that we could actually participate in who he has created us to be. Church, we have come as we are, but by his grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, 
oaks of integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild the city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast the good news for the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for the captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies, because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and powers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all of God's people said, Amen.